0: Creativity, ideas, and passion. Welcome to the Girls Invent podcast. In this series, we talk to amazing women who, when challenged, have successfully
1: reinvented themselves to take on what life throws at them and build truly authentic lives. At Girls Invent, we also run an inventing and business development program that enables girls to create unique product ideas and turn these into successful
0: businesses. Here is your host. Hello, this is Mark Glazebrook from Girls Invent and welcome to another one of our podcast episodes. We always love welcoming uh, new and inspiring women to come and talk about their careers and lives. And today is no exception. We're very fortunate to welcome Tara Rutley, who is the Assistant Chief Scientist at NASA of all things space. So welcome, Tara.
1: I'm really great. Good. To, good to be here.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, Tara joins us from the other side of the world in uh, Washington, aren't you? you in Washington?
1: Yeah, Washington, DC, where we uh, are on month whatever of the same kind of uh, pandemic experience as all of you around the world. I've lost track.
0: Exactly. (laughs) So it's one of the rare times we don't have to wear a mask. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that too. (laughs) So we'll kick off, uh, Tara. Um, So that um, people listening to girls, et cetera, um, get a bit to know you. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about yourself, um, particularly uh, your early life and um, interests and things that kind of shaped who Tara is today?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, since I was in about third grade, I'd always wanted to be an astronaut. That was it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, And growing up, you always, I was always told, oh, to be an astronaut, you have to, to get a degree in engineering and, and do really well in math and do really well in school. And as I got through middle school and high school, I started to realize what I liked was science, really. It wasn't engineering. And, um, and nobody had been, none of my family had been to college before. So, you know, I knew I had to at least go to college. I knew I wanted to get something called a PhD because all the astronauts, a lot of the astronauts were getting PhDs or they were in the military. Uh, And then in about my junior year in high school, we uh, took a field trip, three hours of a drive to the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, uh, for my physics class. And there I got to actually meet an astronaut for the first time ever. And um, finally, I got to ask him, so what do you have to be, what do you have to do to be an astronaut? And he said, well, just do what you love. Because... You know, the best career advice would be to do what you love because not everybody gets to be an astronaut. It's very, it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's just the odds sometimes aren't even in your favor number wise. So he's like, if you do what you love and you get really, really good at it and it's within the realm of, of, of the requirements of an astronaut, that's what we want. We want successful and happy people who are good at what they do. So I said, well, okay. I went back back to high school and it was science. I I was like, I'm going to go to college for science. So um, so that's what, that's what got me and in, in propelled me down the path of, of going to work for NASA. I still wasn't sure how to do it because um, <clears throat> I went to college out of state. <clears throat> I grew up in Louisiana. By, um, my, my mom raised me, and I have a younger sister who's about 18 months younger than me. So my parents were divorced, and I just knew I wanted to get out of Louisiana and, and go someplace different. So um, I ended up at Colorado State University. Uh, pursuing a bachelor's in biology, and uh, and when I was there, I realized that most of the people who were involved, the, the students who were involved in in space stuff, were engineering students. So I went to my first uh, club, space club, meeting, and it was all um, engineers. Me and my my then fiance, now my husband, uh, he was an exercise physiology student. So. We're there science you know science nerds, but we stayed, and they were looking for um, they were looking for students to design uh, some kind of machine or some kind of engineering machine or some, solve a problem for NASA. So my husband and I thought, well, we can solve, solve a problem. How about muscle wasting that happens in space? because in space, you know your muscles are waste because you're not walking around, you're not using them, and that's just the thing that happens to astronauts. So we had to come up with a resistive exercise machine. But if you think about it, you can't use weights because that just floats away. So so he was in a garage door business as well. Uh, So we ended up making a design using springs, constant torque springs. And it won student award after student award. And then we got to know the uh, mechanical engineering students through this process uh, really well. And then um, we got the opportunity to test it on NASA's microgravity airplane. Uh, and and then we had to build the machine, right? So then we had to build it. So then I was in the shop learning how to do engineering, and that was fun. We got to fly it on the airplane that gives you microgravity, Uh, and then it was time for me to graduate, and uh, at the same time, um, we got a patent on the machine, and when I graduated with my bachelor's in biology, the mechanical engineering students were like, why don't you do a master's in engineering, mechanical engineering, and I thought, no. I don't want to be an engineer. I, this has been fun, but I'm out of here. I want my PhD in neuroscience. Neuroscience was what I really, really wanted to do. Uh, but then they, they talked to me a lot more and they convinced me. I went ahead and applied thinking, eh. And that, and then that's how I got, I ended up getting into the mechanical engineering program at Colorado State University as a master's student and ended up being the first uh, person to actually graduate in their biomedical engineering program. So it was mechanical engineering degree, but in, a, in the certificate in the field of biomedical engineering. That was new back then. Wow. Not that I'm that old, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then soon as I graduated, I, I applied to NASA for the heck of it. They were in a hiring freeze. They told me they weren't hiring, but I submitted my resume and I got a call back a few days later saying, asking me if I wanted to come to work there. Uh, in the engineering organization, <laughs> not in science, in you engineering. I get away from it. Uh, so I didn't get away from engineering, and, but it was my dream job. Are you kidding me? I can't pass up NASA, and plus it was a real paycheck. I mean, kind of like a grad student, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did end up going to work at NASA in engineering. Uh, for the first eight years, I was... Uh, a biomedical engineer. I got to um, work on the exercise equipment for space flight on the International Space Station and then the medical equipment to keep astronauts healthy on the space station. At the same time I was pursuing my PhD that I completed in neuroscience a few years later and then then changed paths and went into space station science in the science office where I got to work for the last 10 years uh, working with researchers and, and managing experiments on the space station. In the middle of all that, I did get the opportunity to apply to be an astronaut. And I was op- I was um, actually really lucky to be selected to be one of the finalists um, that they were down selecting in 2013. They inter- There were about 6,000 applications. And they interviewed 120 of us. And then they selected only eight of us. And I was not one of them. Uh, so uh, the dream is not re- yet realized when you asked me you know, what, what interested me as a kid and how I got here. Uh, I'm enjoying the the career very much. I'm doing what I love. So that part was very true. I applied, did not get selected yet. There's, there's still time. Uh, they're, they're actually going through selections right now. And so we're just kind of a bunch of us sitting around kind of waiting, you know, mm-hmm. now with COVID they push things back, but the, the application process is like two painful years of waiting. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's bad enough as it is, but, uh, but no, it's great. Now I'm, um, I, I was in Houston for 18 years and two years ago I came to headquarters in DC where uh, it's just been a super, super fun career tra- training astronaut, meeting scientists around the world, uh, connecting with students around the world. Um, and geez, I mean, helping to create the next plan for landing another uh, woman and man on the moon and Mars.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um... And it's great to see biologists too uh, uh, go all the way, you know, your original training. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've had a lot of, uh, it's, it's, that's the key, man. It's like, sometimes you just don't know how things are going to go, but when you're given all these opportunities, just, you know, I'd say don't ever select yourself out of things. Like if somebody gives you an idea and you think, nah, it's kind of worth rethinking because, it opens
0: up so many doors for you. Yeah, and, and life and careers, it, I mean, I think one of the magics of life is that you can't predict all the things that are ahead of you. And if, if you could, there wouldn't be much point in getting out of bed every day. So careers are a bit like that, That you know. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. The magic is finding out along the way. And sometimes you dream, you find out's not exactly what you want, and, but you find something better or more interesting.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. I wish that were my case.
0: <laughs> oh, well, you still got your hand inside so it, you know?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm still having fun. <laughs>
0: exactly. exactly. Now, ha- having heard all that, Tara, it, it sounds like a dream run. Like, it just every day, opportunities, you know, you're <laughs> like super successful and, um, you, know, you never had a problem or setback along the way. I uh, um, <laughs> was reading that or were there things that kind of came your way that you had to navigate? Or are you just kind of some amazing person that everything happened, you know, fell in your lap?
1: Oh no, I gave you the best abbreviated version I get, but I skipped a part, I skipped a whole lot. Okay. I skipped the part, I told you I went to uh, Colorado State University, but I really went to Michigan State University first. Um, and when I got there, I was an out-of-state student with no scholarship, because I didn't know what that was, uh, paying out-of-state tuition, which is usually triple uh, what Miss Michigan residents were. So I was working three jobs while going to school full-time, and one of those jobs was an overnight shift as a night receptionist. Mm. <laughs> so I wasn't sleeping, but soon after, like, 30, I think into my third semester, I just started failing. I failed, like my calculus, my physics, and, like, my GPA dropped to, like, a 2.3, which i never, I've never been, like, in high school, I was never, like, a stellar honor roll student, because math would always get me, you know, a C, but I would never, I had never actually failed before, so this was, this was news. so I I was, like, time out, what, so what do I do, so I ended up, leaving michigan state and i i actually went home and i'm like well i don't want to be a dropout statistics i i can't stay in louisiana (laughs) like no way so i i applied to be a counselor at space camp and um give myself a second to regroup and so i ended up being a counselor at space camp in huntsville alabama for nine months and during that time it kept the space part alive in me it kept me learning my space history kept kept me moving forward. And that there I applied to CSU and I got into CSU. Strangely, I think they just like had to meet a quota or something for transfer students. I don't know how I got in on the on those kind of transcripts. Maybe my essay was good. No. Um, but that, that was that was a rough time. And again, nobody had gone to college before in my family. So I wasn't even sure hmm. how to do this. But I knew I wasn't going to just it was too early to quit. You don't just quit when you have a goal and a dream and that you're on your path you mm. oh there was no option there was there was no alternative so mm. that was a that was a tough time
0: yeah uh, and i bet i bet it's a highlight in your resume hey that uh, that time in michigan
1: <laughs> it, you know i have to say uh it got me in an astronaut interview it yeah. did, so it's not a matter of how you start it's a matter of how you finish and and a lot of the astronauts will tell you that they've got dings left and right on Transcripts or or otherwise that because we're all human even even the people that you think aren't human are human. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and nowadays um failing has become like a real industry and you know if you can talk about your failures you become a bit of a rock star aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I
1: think yeah, yeah, and I mean I work for. NASA I mean that's what we're about we had the whole failure is not an option quote for so long because of Apollo 13 mm. um but we we know that it's what we do now is learn from failures even within NASA so we're really good NASA is really good at taking failures and turning them around to uh, lessons learned so what will we not do again and what mistake will we not make again uh when I first I think I was One, two, two years into being an engineer at NASA when we had the Columbia uh, shuttle accident where the the space shuttle orbiter uh, fell apart during re-entry. And so I was a new engineer and thrust in a time of loss, of grief, of this doesn't happen. It hasn't happened since 1986. We lost, we haven't lost anyone. And here we were, helicopters outside, media, the president of the United States, and we had astronauts on the space station and they just grounded all the space shuttles because of this incident. So how are we going to get supplies to our astronauts, medical equipment, food? So as a new engineer, that was another setback. It was, it was learning from failure and we immediately went into who can we count on? And well, we could count on the Russians. They're our colleagues in the space station program and they have a, they have a launch vehicle and so we had to recertify, repack, relearn how to reprocess all of the stuff that we flew on our own vehicles. We now had to cram it in and learn how to process on a Russian Progress or a Russian Soyuz. And that was a whole different engineering mentality that, uh, you know, first you got to mourn, you got to overcome, you got to lessons learn, and then you got you to gotta mourn.
0: Well, and you get so motivated when human life's at stake, so uh, you obviously overcame that.
1: Yeah, yeah, we lost our friends. Yep. Yeah. But we've
0: moved on. We and we, we will keep going. Yeah. Um you you mentioned you know the the setbacks and um uh you know how how you struggle at Michigan. Um were there key people along the way that you know maybe you'd already given up or you thought about giving up, you know, you said about you know you didn't have really role models, you know, in your family about, you know, going to university, etc. Or was it something within you that you know got you through?
1: I think it was really honestly. I think it it was within me until it was. A, I got to a certain point. It, I didn't. I don't remember my first role model until until I got to NASA. And I, even then, I didn't realize what was happening. Um, it was my first boss in engineering. She was an African American female, math major, and she saw something in me that now I know was 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 cultivating and growing and then I had another great mentor as a boss later and so those people stand out of my mind until then um I was just motivated because I loved space I mean NASA was my motivator it was just within me it was my identity I wanted to be a part of that so bad I wanted to be in the room where uh astronauts were having dinner with scientists and and they were at the, you know, I wanted to be in that room and, and that's what kept me going. And that's, that's how I'm, (laughs) that's what I'm doing now. So every time I'm in the room with astronauts or I'm training or I'm in the room with scientists talking about what we're going to do in space, I I can't believe it. I'm like, I'm one of those people now. Um, but I I also will say in my undergraduate, uh, no, my graduate degree program in mechanical engineering, um, I my advisor was being a role model for me. And she knew she told me later that she'd seen something in me and and was I could tell she was letting me find my way and make my way make my own way because for my entire master's degree program in mechanical engineering, I came up with my own thesis, my own research, I got my own funding. It was like all I I didn't, I didn't know any other way to do it than to take care of me. That's that's what I've done. Like my whole life is like, focus in, do what you have to do. To to get it, don't count on this or that. All right, you like take care of myself, and then the rest will come. And so I didn't know that she was an actual mentor until much later. And she she said some things, and I was like, Yeah, I think you were.
0: <laughs> Is that a family kind of value, taking care of yourself and getting on with things, or where do you think that came from?
1: Yeah, my husband and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, I I yeah, I think we have a um, you know growing up the way we grew up it's just you had to scrap for things you just you, you, you had to be resourceful you had to be resourceful we just couldn't pluck things out of different places we had to go and find them and so um, and so I think resourcefulness is a family trait um, and my dad is an inventor as it turns out he didn't he didn't invent his first thing though until I was in college and now he's got like tons of patents and I can kind of see where it comes from now. (laughs) But I will say person who's been with me since eighth grade and probably not giving enough credit to, but he was in the air force, but is now my husband, my husband and I have been together since I was in the eighth grade. So he's been, you know, constantly by my side. He's the yin to my yang. Like I, I tend to be a little more uh, cautious and reserved and he's the more entrepreneurial get out there and try new risks and try new things and you'll be fine. So he
0: pushes me. Great, right, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that I'm involved in as well as inventing and the girls' invent uh, work is um, a repair cafe. Have you heard of repair cafes in your world? No. Um, the really cool idea where, because we're in a throwaway society, um, uh, you, know, it's, you know, when I grew up, You never really throw away anything. Everything often had a value and you could repair it or fix it. And a lot of um, people nowadays, um, you know, they'll easily throw it away. And and the repair cafe is a drop-in usually once a month where they bring stuff from home that they would otherwise throw away. And often it just takes a small tweak to fix it. And, um, you know, we get volunteers from the community and, you know, there are um, people fixing everything from... um, Bedding that might have, you know, fallen apart or um, a push bike, uh, whatever it is, and by doing it, you actually do it with the person and you teach the person some basic skills that I was certainly brought up to do. Yeah. But people often think it's just about the repair of the stuff, but I think it's about incubating this mindset of you actually have a lot more agency and a lot more scope as a person to do things um, than you really imagine. Absolutely.
1: I wonder if we have something like that in my community here, but it's, I'd love to look into that. I'm with you on that. I still have like my, the truck I drive is a 2007. I'm not ready to give that up until it, Uh, you know, until it's like we constantly tinker and fix and tinker and fix. I I think, I think that it's valuable um, to keep doing that. Yeah.
0: I've got a teenage daughter. Um, and one of the running jokes is she laughs at my 15 year old TV. Um, and, <laughs> oh. and this, this year she wanted to buy me a new one. And I said, Why would I buy a new one when, look, it works perfectly fine? You know, I mean,
1: 15 is not that old for a TV, actually.
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't think so. Like, would you believe my dad actually built our first TV back in the oh. early 60s? So, yeah, he even, he even built the cabinet and everything. And, uh, um, oh it lasted, geez! It lasted like I don't know, 35, 40 years.
1: Yeah, way to go. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Oh man, I have to say, um, <laughs> during my astronaut interview, one of the astronauts got four of us in the room, four of us uh, selectees, and and asked us. He said, "Well, I have a, I have a pickup truck, a Ford 1975, whatever, and the heat pump went." and he this guy is like super like he's known to be like the most mechanical astronaut they had and this was totally a test like the, the heat pump failed and and then I replaced it and then it was time to put it all back together and then you know that he went on and on and he, he asked us what we thought he sh- should do <laughs> and uh, I'm like I don't no repair cars but I know this guy this is like a trick question so it was quite interesting to see the gamut of responses between all of us being able to do things with your hands is priceless
0: (laughs) exactly um we've talked a lot about your uh, life and your career up until sort of recently um do you want to share about you know your current career a bit more detail and what are some of the things you're focusing on
1: Yeah, so currently, I work in the office of the chief scientist at NASA headquarters. So my boss is the chief scientist. Um, He is really, really cool. And our office is very small. um, And his name is Jim Green, and he's a planetary scientist. And just a really great guy. Um, My background is low-Earth orbit kind of science, microgravity science, uh, things like how the human body behaves in space, what changes, how you grow plants. Uh, What fires do in space, how water behaves in space, studying all that uh, on the International Space Station so that we can um, put both our minds, put all of our minds together, actually, and think about how we maintain human presence on the moon and Mars. Hmm. So um, our office works with all the groups from NASA, all the science groups, all the planetary groups. Um all the vehicle groups, all the astronaut groups, and and to, to help formulate a plan on 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 those kind of things. like, first of all, how are we best using the space station right now? Uh, are we fully using it the way it should be, or is there more cool science we need? To, so I get to talk to a lot of researchers from around the country to ask them if they want to send their science to the International Space Station and give them reason why they'd want to. Yeah. and then um, and then we take the results from, from that and we apply it to, okay, now, um, even though there's, there's gravity on the moon, there's only one-sixth that of Earth. It's not microgravity, but it's not Earth's gravity. So it's somewhere in between. So how do we take what we've learned from the space station and make water flow and grow plants for food and provide light for humans and plants? Um, how do we build habitats? So uh, one of the really cool things that's happening out, not not yet within NASA, but NASA's funding competitions for, is 3D printing using lunar regoliths or lunar dirt. uh, Can you 3D print a whole habitat for a human to live in uh, instead of bringing all the materials to build it up once you get on the moon or Mars? Mm -hmm. So um, there's like all these What's really interesting is we've got all these really neat concepts for how humans can live on the moon, and we've seen it. Like NASA spent the last several decades thinking this stuff up. They've got, you know, I've seen old report after old report, book after book about how humans can live on the moon, how humans can live on Mars. And now we're like, Oh, revisiting all that. You were going, okay, let's go back to that. What, what, what do we think will work? What won't, what have we been, what have we been developing? What have we learned from space station? And now it's time to get serious right. uh, and put, put dates on things and, and, and really think about, you know, who, who, what astronauts are we going to select? We know it's going to be a woman and a man. Uh, we're shooting for trying to get boots on the moon by 2024 is what we're told. Um, and so how do you, how do you do that? And we haven't been to the moon and you know, forever, 50 years or so. So how do you, how do you, how do you go back? And it's a different time, different technology. Now we want to stay longer. Um, you know, when we went last time, we just visited for a few hours and came home, but now we want to sustain it. And so uh, how do we work with our international partners to, to have a role in that too? Cause you know, space stations told us it's best that we have partners and we don't do everything alone. And so we're working with those partners now talking about the moon and then, and then Mars. So it's uh A Super fun and busy job. Usually I get to travel the world and meet scientists from around the world and other agencies uh, and talk about uh, What kind of science is more important um, that we should be doing for for now that gets us to where we want to be. So it's a really fun job. It's a really neat job. I also um, Get to travel around the country talking to students, mostly undergraduates. Um, uh, I'm a part of a program called the McNair Scholars Program after Ron McNair, who was a shuttle astronaut who uh, perished in the Challenger accident in 1986. These are students who are uh, from underserved communities, low income, first generation, minority, usually in STEM, but actually a wide range of, um, of disciplines too. And I was one of those students in college, and that got me in, in. They took me in and helped me learn how to get ready for graduate school. It's a program that exists in the United States. So I, I spent a lot of time working with those students, talking to those students, mentoring, um, to make sure that those didn't have the resources, just like I didn't have maybe one more resource <laughs> to help them get through. Yeah. Uh, because I did fail to mention that uh, I found that group when I was an undergrad, and if I and I only found that group uh, because NASA rejected me from a summer internship. NASA rejected me from an internship. I stumbled upon this McNair group, which I joined, and they helped me prepare for graduate school. And mm-hmm. And then I got the internship with NASA like the next year. So, again, failure, whatever. I think things are supposed to go the way they're supposed to go because these guys really helped and I should give credit to that.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that um, working with the girls, um, uh, there's often a temptation to try and find money or spend a lot of money in the inventing process, particularly early on. And, uh, you know, we we try and teach the girls about, you know, um, you know, the lean startup top model and the um, uh, minimal viable product and, and, you know, questioning every dollar that you spend and um, leveraging, you know, so many free stuff that's around. And uh, to me, that's a whole literacy uh, in itself. Um, and I'm sure your father would be very attuned to that as well.
1: Yes, it's it's we do that around the house actually, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean in engineering before we spent any kind of money at NASA when I was a young engineer we were just grabbing parts that we had around us uh, because you want to prove the concept first and even when I was an undergraduate student and we were building the exercise machine um, we used scrap parts we we didn't ask for money until we proved that it that we could that the concept was was workable yeah. and so using what you have at your disposal because the world is full of stuff yeah you can always do something with that stuff that's within your reach. It's good that you reuse it and turn it around. We're going to do that for, for going to the moon and Mars. We're talking about melting down materials and 3D printing and then melting it down again, 3D printing what you need. Yeah. So, oh boy, yeah. We have a lot of stuff on the planet that's just waiting to be used.
0: I think sometimes money gets in the way. You know, it can kind of blind people's innovation. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I have to yeah. talk, talk to the girls about how you know, many companies, some of the big tech companies, obviously NASA, um, they do spend a lot of time with very kind of basic materials to, to prove the concept before they ever spend any money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and not all concepts make it. Like I mentioned, I have a patent on the exercise machine, but you have to know when, how far to take it. And as an inventor, you have to know when is when you have to say enough right? You've put enough time, you've spent enough money, you've, you've shopped it around, and you have to admit the fatal flaws. Our, our fatal flaw for our exercise machine was that they were spring based, so they had a lifetime, a, a life cycle limit. And so, you know, the life cycle limit was just something NASA was like, we can't keep constantly being replacing these things, right? And even even for use on the ground, some companies wanted to market it, and, and the, but I was like, the cycle life, you know, it's like they springs, they're limited uh there are a lot of cycles but they still have limitations so so eventually we had to just say this was fun this is the end of the road we had gotten lots of funding lots of grants uh SBA, small business innovative research grants and things and we took it as far as we could but you got to know also uh wh- you gotta gotta listen to experts and it's a fine line on how to figure out when enough is enough like your invention was great but you have to let it go and move on or Put it onto the side for now because the world's not ready for it, but it will be because these things always come around again. So you just right. gotta wait, wait for
0: it. Yeah, excellent. So given you know you've had such a um, interesting and mixed type of career, um, and you said you have these sort of side conversations with your your husband and your, obviously your father. Do Do you ever think back about you know, you being that younger girl and what what you would say to her now that Maybe you know, share the lessons learned to to make her ride a little bit easier or a little bit kind of um, um, yeah, a little bit a little bit sort of more um, maybe smooth or even even taking up opportunities along the way that maybe you didn't think you could.
1: I think the only thing I would say uh, is to would be to look. Closer, it's scholarships because no one ever no one really like my cat my guy I mean my guidance counselor in high school was like yeah you're an a b student you get in math yeah you know like the yeah. no one ever coached me on you know if you didn't get in math you could get a scholarship and you not have to work three jobs and <laughs> but yeah. but on the other hand um I don't I, I, the way things went have been has have been really fulfilling so I think the only thing I would really, really tell her other than look for scholarships is um, um, <laughs> uh, don't count yourself out. Let other people count yourself out. <laughs> Let other people, there are other people that are going to tell you no. So you don't tell yourself no too early. <laughs> like, why can't it be you? Why Why shouldn't you apply? Why, they're going to pick somebody. It's why not you? Yeah. Um, and to just also by the time I get to college, I would say just calm down on the grades. Like, I was so obsessed with getting good grades, thinking that was like everything, and and always knew that NASA was in the back of my mind, NASA was in the back of my mind. So when I, you know, failed at Michigan State, I recovered in Colorado State, I just wanted to make A's, like all A's, and it, it'll tax you, and it'll really take a toll on you, so you don't need to be that stressed out, <laughs> like grades aren't everything, nor are the standardized tests, you know, I wasn't even the best standardized test taker for college. And it's okay. It's not, it's not about that. Just enjoy what you can and, and try to calm down a little bit The the stress is a real thing. Um, even when you think it's not stress, is, stress will take its toll on you physically and you don't even realize it's stress. Cause you're like, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed. But then all these strange things start happening to your body. <laughs> you know, and it's like, maybe I should calm down a bit. It's sure. going to be okay.
0: Exactly. Um, So coming back to Girls and there'll be many girls listening to this podcast, um, you know, inspired by, you know, your story and um, maybe even inspiring to end up working at the Australian Space, uh, you know, um, organization. Yeah,
1: Australian Space Agency. Yeah. Yeah, they're new. They're probably looking for perfect.
0: Exactly. So um, is there anything you'd like to share with the girls directly about, um, I don't know, encouraging them on their journey?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I, I, you know what, I don't actually think I need to do much encouraging. I, I, I really think that the girls that are on this journey are there because they want to be and they want it badly enough. And So um, at least I can't, I can't relate to anything else. So the girls that are inventing, the girls that are in, in these programs, the girls that want to go to school to be engineers, they know what they want. And uh, I'd say you're gonna, have, you're gonna run into roadblocks or people saying, oh, you, you can't do this. But then, you're, you know, people used to tell me that growing up. Oh, you, you're a girl, what, girls can be astronauts? And I'm like, what the heck do you know? You know nothing, you don't know anything about the space business, move along, right? These people don't really know. So you're the only one that knows what's good for you, what you want. Um, I would say, if you're already in it, then your head is, is in that dream, follow that dream, bring your own solutions. If you see a program in college, university, or an internship or anything else that that looks like it would be neat except for one little part, take it, do it, fix that little part. Bring, bring a solution to a professor saying, you know, this isn't working. I, I would really like to go that route except for this one part. How about I do this instead? Like, people... People and authority will listen to you if you have an idea. A lot of times we just don't think that our ideas count. But if you bring a solution and a path you can create on your own path and a plan to follow that path, just do it. You are the only one in charge of your path. There are mentors out there who will care about you and who will help you, yes. But ultimately, only you know what you want and you know what you're capable of. So um, if you've got people in your corner, hold on to those people. Great. You will need them. But if you're motivated enough, that's what's going to drive you. That that end goal will drive you through all kinds of stupid stuff. You really don't want to take that prerequisite or you really don't want to take that calculus class or you really don't want to take statistics. Yeah. Just do it. Get past it. It's a minor bump in the road. The, the dream is a bigger dream and the goal is a bigger goal. Get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic um, words of um, insight, I guess. Um, it, it reminds me, Tara, um, A couple of experiences I had with my own daughter, Um, uh, she, um, Tara is a name, when she was at school, she was very inspired to become an astronaut. And in fact, she had a very clear goal. She wanted to be the first woman on Mars. And um, she would talk about that at school and the boys would go, oh, girls can't be astronauts. And um, we used to go out at night and, you know, look at the satellites and the, the International Space Station because I had the app where you could tell when it was coming over. And I said, yeah. well, you've, got to, you've got to tell the boys that they're got to look up every night and see the space station because at, at that time there was a female astronaut on the space station. And ask asked the boys, well, you know, what's that female astronaut doing up there if, you know, girls can't be astronauts? <laughs> and make a little
1: <laughs> Right. And those, those female women, those women astronauts would love to hear that. I'm going to pass that on, actually. I'll let
0: yeah, them know. True story. True story. And, and it, you know, yeah, not that she was put off by it, but, you know, I guess me as a dad and why girls' events come about is that, you know, there are people around, you know, girls' lives that I think need to step up, share insights and, and just, um, you know, support girls along the way. The other one about the moon that you'd love, I think, was even when um, Taya was younger, you know, we'd go out on a full moon night and I'd be holding her up and she'd be reaching as, as with her arm as much as she could to try and grab the moon. And she, she knew my arm was longer and she'd say, Dad, can you reach out and grab the moon for me? You know, and I'd try and do the same thing. But it was that beautiful innocence and, and belief in anything that, yeah. I, think, I think speaks to what the space experience is all about it's how do we reach out and touch things that we we never experienced
1: a very very nice way of putting it and that might be why i have been so drawn to it my whole life that 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 human experience and that that thought that anything's possible even though i'm still human and know that yeah that there are there are barriers that you'll have to overcome and there are a lot of things that are not in your control but your daughter and all the other girls should do what's in their control and never count themselves out yeah. and keep keep going until you're happy.
0: Yeah. Well it's been fantastic speaking with you Tara and I've learned a lot about the whole journey of, you know, NASA and, and all the opportunities and I'm sure the girls have. Is there anything else you, you want to say that you just feel like you just have to say before we, we close off?
1: Just hang in there, girls. Life is beautiful wonderful hard and amazing and fulfilling and tragic and all of it just enjoy the journey like the astronaut told me enjoy the journey
0: great thank you tara um thanks so much for your time and uh yeah sharing an amazing experience And I, i'm i'm rooting for you to become that um, next female astronaut <laughs> are you wanting to go to the moon or mars or both or
1: uh, wherever they want to send me
0: okay. <laughs> Fair I'd be
1: happy with the moon. Okay. <laughs> thank you for all that you've done for these girls and that you keep doing. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, the world needs you. So thank you for that.
0: No worries, Tara. Thanks again.
1: Thank you for listening to the Girls Invent podcast. Please share if you would like to inspire young women to believe in themselves and go after their hopes and dreams.